Have you ever thought about the fact that you are a leader? You know, every single one of us, or at least I'd say 95% of us in this room are leading something or someone. Those of you who are husbands, you are leading your family. Those of you who are wives, you are helping to co-lead your family and lead your kids with your husband. Some of you are leaders in your place of employment. You lead a team or you lead a crew or you lead a department or you lead a division. Some of you are leaders here in the church. You Maybe you lead a home group or you lead a men's group or you lead a, a women's group or maybe you lead a, a youth uh, ministry team or a youth uh, small group. All of us in this room are leaders in some way. We are leading someone or we are leading something. And here's my question, is anyone following You see, oftentimes when we're called to lead and it feels like no one is following, we want to blame those people that that we're supposed to be leading, that the problem is with them. But I I want to just ask you to think this morning that maybe the, the problem lies also within you. And so today in our Red Letter series, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about leadership. In his kingdom. And we've noted already that the kingdom of Jesus is radically different from the kingdom of this world. That Jesus, he described his kingdom as an upside down kingdom. And I think the differences that we see in his kingdom are are seen in, in no greater way than in this area of leadership. I want you to begin, I want you to notice verse 35. This is going to give us the setting of the teaching that Jesus gives here on leadership. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, so these are two of his disciples, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant to us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now, he was speaking there about his death on the cross and the suffering that he would go through, although they didn't understand that. And they said to him, we are able. And so he said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. Meaning that they were going to go through some suffering as his followers. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. So the setting here is we see James and John are vying for power. They come to Jesus and say, hey, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Your kids ever do that to you? Dad, just want, I want you to, right now promise me that you're going to do whatever I ask. You ever, that's like what these guys are doing. You know, Do whatever we ask. And they asked that they would be able to sit on his right and left hand in his kingdom. Wow. 
Talk about ambitious, right? I mean, these guys are like, hey, we want to be the two top dogs in your kingdom. And, and I love in verse 41, it says that the rest of the disciples, they were displeased with James and John after this. Now, it's my opinion that they were displeased really because they realized that James and John thought of it first. You know, that they were like, I wish I would have thought of that. You know, that's a, that's a great request. Now, I don't have the time today to go into all the nuances of their question or the request and Jesus' response, because I really want to focus today on the lesson that Jesus gives after this request, where he begins to talk to them about the subject of leadership. So let's continue in verse 42. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Pause there and give me your attention. I want you to notice verse 42 again. It says that Jesus called them to himself. And this is always the key. You see, Mark tells us that when Jesus began his ministry and he was calling his disciples to come and follow him, that he called them to himself. In other words, before he was calling them to do anything, he was calling them to be with him. And that is always the heart of Jesus. He calls us to himself. And Jesus would continue to do that in the lives of of these men, that he was constantly, throughout his ministry and their time with him, calling them to himself, because we never outgrow our need for Jesus and our need to be close to Jesus. But after this, Jesus begins to address the top-down style of leadership that was prevalent in their day. And it's a style of leadership that is prevalent in our day as well. Look at verse 42 again. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That word lord and authority are key in this model, this idea. This is how it works in top-down leadership, is that there are people who are in charge, and there are people who report to those who are in charge. There are leaders in top-down leadership, and there are workers. There are people who are in charge that tell the people under them what to do. Jesus puts it this way, they lord it over them, or they hold their authority over them, and Jesus says to his disciples, you know, that's how things work in the world. That's top-down leadership. That's how it worked in that culture, and that's how it works in most places today. There are leaders, and there are servants. There are bosses, and there are workers. That's how top-down leadership works. You know who's the person in charge, because their name is on the door of the best office, 
it says boss or manager or leader. Their picture is in the lobby. Their parking place says reserved for the CEO. That's the way it works in most places today. But notice what Jesus says in verse 43. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. You see, these guys, these disciples would be the future leaders of the church. I mean, this whole thing is about to blow up. In Acts chapter 2, shortly after the, the, the resurrection, Jesus, the, whole, the disciples are meeting there, 120 of them in an upper room when the Holy Spirit falls. And Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people turn from their sin and put their faith in Jesus. A few weeks later, he preaches another sermon, Peter does, and 2,000 people get saved. And so in a very short period of time, this group of 120 goes to over 5,000 people, and the disciples are leading all of that. But here Jesus is introducing a whole different paradigm in the early church as it related to leadership. Notice how he continues in verse 43. But whoever desires to become great among you, now notice that. We look at that and think, that's such an evil desire, that person he wants to be great. Jesus doesn't say that. In fact, Jesus doesn't even rebuke James and John for coming with this bold request and having this ambition. But what he is going to do is he's going to give them a new definition of what greatness looks like. Are you ready for this? He says, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Jesus is describing a whole different type of leadership that really is the opposite of top-down leadership because Jesus says, look, we're going to do it differently than the world does. Now, I want to just note this. Jesus is not against leadership. He knows that leadership is essential. God always has leaders. Leadership is necessary. There has to be leaders. You know, some people try to advocate, oh, you know, we don't need any leaders. We'll just all be one. We'll do this together. But when that is the model, things often don't get done. There's a lot of ideas that are shared, but no follow-through. Or things are not done efficiently when there's not a leader. Or you get a whole bunch of people running around just doing their own thing, hoping that it's all going to come together. And if you've ever, ever been a part of a team, it doesn't take long for you to realize we need a leader. In fact, it's interesting, in Romans chapter 12, when Paul's writing there about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he's listing there what are kind of known as the practical gifts. He lists one of them in there as the gift of leadership. That God calls this a gift in his church. But Jesus describes a different kind of leadership than the top-down leadership model that was so prevalent in their day and is prevalent in our day. And what Jesus describes here, listen, it can be applied in your home. It definitely applies in a church setting. It can be applied in your business. It can be applied in your friendships. 
And if you get what Jesus is putting forth here, you will be someone that others love to work for. You will be someone that others love to work with. Your company, hey, it will have a very low turnover rates. And if you get this in your friendships, you'll be, you will thrive in your friendships because people will want to be your friend. So notice what Jesus says. He says, you want to be great? You want to be first? Be the servant of all. Be the slave of all. Now, i got to tell you, when I first read this, so there was a time when I was reading this that I, I really struggled trying to figure out, what does Jesus mean here? And I wasn't struggling with what he was saying, but just the application of it, especially in the role that I was in in being the lead pastor here at the church. And so I wondered, is Jesus saying that I need to take my leadership hat off and pick up a broom and be the janitor? Is he saying that I just need to spend all day long just going around and picking up after everyone? And I thought, if that's what I did all day long, I really wouldn't be fulfilling the calling that God has given to me here as the pastor of this church. Now, let me just say this. To be clear, I don't think Jesus is saying that you should take off your leadership hat and pick up a broom and be the janitor. But having said that, I do think it is important for us to note that a leader should be willing to do anything. That there is no job below your pay grade. That you should be willing to do anything. And I think we see the example of this in Jesus who on the night, we read this in John chapter 13, on the night before he was going to go to the cross where he would, would pay the price for our sins, we're told that Jesus takes the role of the lowest servant in the household. That in a household, in this top-down leadership, the, the servant who was the newest servant, who was on the bottom of the totem pole, this would be his job. His job would be that he would have to wash the dirty, stinky, smelly feet of all of the people that came into the house. And on that night, before Jesus is going to go to the cross, that's what he does. He gets down on his hands and knees and he washes each one of the disciples' feet. He took the lowest job. He was willing to do that. But I want you to note this, that Jesus only did that one time. He didn't do that every single time the disciples got together, but he did it that one time to show them, to be an example to them, that he was willing to take the lowest place And then he said to them, what I've just done to you, the way that I've just served you, I want you guys to serve one another. I want you to be willing to serve each other in that way. So Jesus says, hey, you want to be great? You want to be first? Learn to be the servant. Let's consider that word servant there in verse 43. The word translated servant is dikonos, And it's a word that is sometimes used to describe a table waiter or a waitress or a a waiter in a restaurant. And what, what are the marks of a good waiter or waitress? Well, a good waiter or waitress is constantly looking to serve the people that they're taking care of. A good waiter or waitress, the one that you want to give a great tip to, is the one who is fixated on making sure the people under them are taken care of and that they're doing well, that they have everything that they need. 
sure you're there in the restaurant and you're eating the bread that they bring to the table and you get to the end of it and before you, you know, take that last bite, she's right there. He's right there saying, hey, would you like some more bread? I, lo- I love iced tea. And I love it when I'm in a restaurant and all of a sudden I'm getting to that last drink of my iced tea and there they are with the picture. Would you like a refill, sir? They're in tune. They're, they're watching, they're seeing, they're noticing the needs around them. So to have the heart of a servant leader is to always look for ways to serve people without them even asking for your help. A servant leader puts the needs of others above their own comfort or their own needs. To be a servant leader is to use your position for the benefit of others. And I want you to notice that Jesus uses himself as the example here in verse 45 when he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So here's the question. What does servant leadership look like? What's it going to look like in your family? What's it going to look like in our church? What's it going to look like in your place of business? What's it going to look like in your friendships? Well, I think to answer that question, I want, to, I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Where I think Paul gives this beautiful picture of, of this servant leadership that's seen in the person of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 5. He says this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The first thing that Paul does, tells us here is that Jesus lowered himself. He made himself of no reputation, and there was a purpose for that. He tells us that being in the form of God, which means that he was the exact representation of God, that he was equal with the Father in every single way, yet he says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And another way to put that is that he didn't think of his equality with God as something that he had to cling to. So when this whole idea of salvation was being discussed amongst the Godhead, Jesus wasn't protesting. He wasn't saying, I'm not giving up my throne, not even for a minute, man. I'm not leaving heaven. I'm not doing that. No, that wasn't his heart at all. No, and catch this. Jesus realized that he was in a unique position to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. You see, the Bible pictures mankind, all of us, as being in bondage to sin and in bondage to Satan because the Bible says that we have all sinned. We've all missed the mark of God's standard of perfection. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and sin has left us in bondage. 
You see, we're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. It's ingrained in us. It's a part of our original nature after the fall. Things like anger and jealousies and addictions and pride, those things come out of us because that's who we are. We are fallen, broken individuals. We are flawed sinners. And the Bible says that in that condition, every single one of us was doomed to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. That was the plight of every man or woman because all of us have sinned. So I want you to picture this. Picture yourself in a dungeon and you need a savior. You need a rescuer. But the price of the ransom to set you free is the blood of a perfect person. Someone who has never sinned, someone who was able to live a perfect life. But year after year and and decade after decade, no one is found to be that perfect person who can be our rescuer until Jesus humbles himself. And he steps off of his throne. He agrees to leave heaven, the place where he is honored and the place where he is worshipped. And he lowers himself and he agrees to come to this earth, not as a full-grown man even, but as a baby who would grow into the place of a full-grown man. And as a man, he would tell us about the love of God and the heart of God. And he lives this perfect life. And he does that not to throw it in our faces, not to say, look, I lived a perfect life. How come you can't do that? You deserve what you're going to get. Burn already. No, he doesn't do that. that. That's not his heart. That's not why. No, he lives that perfect life because all of this is about the rescue mission. The whole thing is about paying a ransom. And so he allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be beaten. He allows himself to be crucified, to pay the price for our sins, to give himself, as Mark puts it, a ransom for many. And he was the only one who could do that. And the purpose of his death was for the advancement of others. The purpose of his death was that so that you and I could receive life. And this is the leadership model that Jesus is putting forth. That Jesus took everything that he had and everything that he was as God in human flesh, as the perfect one, and he used all of that for the sake of others. He leveraged everything that he was and everything that he had for the benefit of others. And that's what a servant leader does. You use your position, your assets, your resources, your influence for the benefit of others. You use your time and your resources and your talents and your position to help those that you are working with, to help those that are in your care accomplish their goals. You know, Paul, who wrote Philippians chapter 2, he referred to himself several times as a minister. Now, what's interesting about Paul is prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, he was a hater of the Christ followers. Paul was a Pharisee. 
And he was in line to be the top dog, the head honcho over all the Pharisees in Jerusalem. And that all changes for him when he comes face to face with Jesus Christ after the resurrection and everything changes and he puts aside his you know, whole pursuit of being a Pharisee. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he calls himself a doulos, which means a willing servant. And Paul says, I'm willingly the slave of Jesus. But he also referred to himself as a minister. And the word minister means under rower. And it's the picture of the slaves who were, were sort of the engine in the galley ships. You've seen this in the movies, those ships that have, you know, big wooden ships and they have all these oars coming out, you know, the, the bottom of it. Well, in those ships, in the bottom of the ship, there were all these slaves, and they would sit there, and they would row the boat. They were the engine, and their whole job was to get the people that were above them to their destination. And Paul said, that's what I am. I'm an under rower. My whole job is to get the people that God has put in my life to their destination, to help them become everything that God wants them to be. That's what a servant leader does. He's going to do, she's going to do what she can, to, what he can to help get others to their destination. So servant leaders do what they can to empower others to become everything that God intended them to be. Servant leaders do what they can to help others accomplish their dreams. I want you to think for a minute about what this might look like in your sphere of influence, like your house with your wife and your kids, fellas, or with your roommates? How can you be used to help them get where they want to go and where they need to go? How can you help them accomplish what they need to accomplish? Well, let me give you a couple of examples. When my kids were younger, sometimes in school, they'd get an art project. And they'd come to me and say, hey, Dad, can, I, can you help me with my art project? Well, I am not artistic at all. I can't even draw a good stick figure. I mean, my stick figures look horrible, okay? So I'd be like, oh man, you know, your mom's actually better than me at this. But you know what? I have some influence. I know some people. I know some artists. How about I give one of them a call? I have some means. I might be able to, to, to you know, have them come and give you some lessons and to help you learn how to draw the right kind of picture. Or sometimes my wife, who helps lead our women's ministry here. She'll come to me sometimes when the women have an event that they've planned and maybe they want to bring in a, a speaker from out of town and it's going to cost a flight or maybe they want to have some special music and it's not in their budget for the event that they've planned and they really don't want to raise the cost of the price you know, for you ladies. So sometimes she'll come to me and say, hey, we really want to do this. We think it would be really, really awesome, but... But we really, it's not in our budget. Could the church help? Well, hey, I have some influence in that area. I'm part of the team that makes the budget here at the church. And I watch and I read the reports and I know sometimes where, hey, this department is doing a lot better and they actually have some, some excess in their budget so we can actually take from this department and put those funds over here that will enable you guys to do what you really feel like the Lord wants you to do to bless the ladies for this particular event. See how that works? I'm using my influence, my position my resources to help 
them fulfill their dream. Or think of this one. Somebody comes to me and says, hey, Pastor Rob, I'm moving next week. Can you help me move? Well, I don't have the back anymore to go around lifting couches and dressers and refrigerators and all that type of thing. So I'm like, you know, that probably wouldn't bode well for either of us. But you know what I, I can do, what I do have? I have a truck. I'll loan you my truck, and I have some influence. I know some young, strong guys around here. I can call them and see if they might be willing to help you move next week. Here's my point. Being a servant leader is more than just being willing to do the worst job. Sure, you should be willing and you should be able to mop a floor and pick up after others. But if that is all that you did, you would not be fulfilling your role. You wouldn't be using the gifts and the resources that the Lord has given to you. But being a servant leader is using all that you have to enhance those around you and help them fulfill their calling. And here's what's amazing about this. As you watch others fulfill their calling, as you watch others thrive in their position, and you realize that you had a small part to play in that because you used some of your influence to help them, that is so incredibly rewarding. So here's the thing. How can I practically, practically stop and shift? How can I pivot and, and, and adopt this model of leadership that Jesus is teaching and that he exemplified? Well, being a servant leader is being, being willing, I think, to ask a very simple question. And the question is this, how can I help? How can I help? As a husband, instead of ignoring the problem at home, Coming to your wife and saying, hey, how can I help? How can I help out here? You seem overwhelmed. How can I help? As a wife, as you see your husband, he's working extra long hours and he's got a lot of pressure on him. Instead of complaining about how he's not around as much as you'd like him to be, coming and saying, hey, I see the pressure that you are under. How can I help? How can I help you in this? It's parents coming to our kids and being willing to say to our kids, hey, how can I help? I see that you know, you got a lot going on and this new whole new way of doing school is challenging. How can I help? How can I come alongside you? Coming to your friends and you see them struggling instead of just being like, you know, too bad, so sad for them. I'm glad it's not me. Being, hey, I, I see you're really struggling right now. How can I help? How can I help you? How can I use what I have in order to help you do what you need to do? You know, I have a friend who's a, a pastor here in North County. He pastors a big church. And we know another guy who pastors a, a smaller church. And my friend who pastored the, the big church, he, you know, the, the, our friend that always, you know, that pastored the, the smaller church, always every year would go on a missions trip to Hungary. And one year he just couldn't go because his church was struggling. He didn't have the funds. And my friend who pastors this bigger church heard about it. 
And so he went to his accounting department. He says, hey, I want you guys to write a check. And it was actually for more than what the trip would cost. He said, I want you to write a check. I want you to put it in the mail and send it to the pastor of this church. Well, when my friend you know, got his mail and he opened up and he sees this check that came from this other church, he, he was kind of confused. He's like, why did they send me a check? And so he called my friend and said, hey, I got this check from you. Why did you do that? And he says, well, I, I know that you always go to Hungary, that that's kind of your passion. And, and I know you didn't have the funds to, to go. And, and, and I can't go, but I can help you go. So I sent you a check to help you do what I know God is calling you to do. Isn't that awesome? I love that type of thing. Listen, how do we become these type of people? When you see a need in the church or a need around you or you hear about a need, instead of saying, somebody needs to take care of that. Or when you see a need, instead of complaining like, man, they really need to get their act together around here. You know, look at this. Instead of having that type of heart, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord, Lord, how can I help? Lord, I see this thing. How can I? I want to dare you to pray that. I dare you to say, Lord, how can I help? You know what? If you pray that, here's what he might do. He might say, you know what? I want you to volunteer in this way because you're gifted in that area. We can use you. He might say, you know, I want you to write a check because I've given you means. I've helped you. I've blessed you. And and I want you to use that to bless others. You know, Jesus said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. But we really don't believe that. Because we live in this culture that is all about consumption. And so we spend so much of our time trying to consume more when Jesus is saying, no, the idea isn't consumption, but it's really about giving Try. Try that. So I, one of our core values here at Calvary Vista is, is this. We believe that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing. And I want you to think, church. Imagine for a moment what our church culture would be like here at Calvary Vista if all of us did this. If all of us looked for ways to model servanthood. If all of us look for ways to use what we have and who we are and what God has given us in order to bless others. What would happen if all of us started asking that simple question, how can I help? I think it would be amazing. I think that Jesus would blow our minds with what he would do with us and in us and what we would be able to accomplish and the people that we would be able to bless. And I think it would be so much fun. And we would find ourselves just going, this is incredible. Now, maybe you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And on the one hand, this just sounds crazy to you. You're like, that would never work where I work. You know, that would never, there's no way. But inside of you, there's sort of this part of you that would love to be a part of a community like that. People who approached life in that way. Well, listen, this is exactly what Jesus wants his kingdom to look like. This is exactly what he modeled for us. It's exactly why he came to take people who were living for themselves and were empty and in bondage because of it and redeem them and call them to something new and something better, a whole new way of living. He came 
and gave his life a ransom for many. That word many is important. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross, really, he paid the price to pay for the sins of all of the world, all of humanity. But his ransom is only for many because some people don't choose to follow him. Some people make a decision that they don't want to really give their lives to Christ. And he's not going to force you, but he invites you today to respond to his invitation. And he loved you enough to leave heaven and come to this earth and leverage everything that he was and he had to purchase your freedom to set you free. The question is this, do you want to be free? That's the question. You see, here's the thing. We read there in Philippians that there's a day coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, you can confess that today. Or you can say, nah, I'm not ready for that. And one day you will, but on that day, it'll be too late. So I want to encourage you today, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, to do that today. To tell him, hey, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Now we're going to close our time together today by partaking of communion. And the communion, you should have received uh, one of these little things on your way in. So on the top of this is a little wafer, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up right now. But there's a little wafer and the bottom is juice. And these two elements speak to us of what Jesus did for us on the cross. How he paid the price for our sins. How his body was broken for us. And how his blood was shed. His body took the pain, the punishment that we deserved. His blood was shed to, to cleanse us of all of our sin. That we could receive forgiveness and we could be set free. The Bible warns us, it says, don't partake of communion in what it calls an unworthy manner. What does that mean? To partake in an unworthy manner is to really realize what Jesus did on the cross for you, that he paid the price for your sin, but in your mind and in your heart say, you know what, I'm not ready to turn from my sin. I still want to live this way. That's to partake in an unworthy manner. It says, don't do that. But there is another option. And the other option is to open up your heart to Jesus today and say, Jesus, I, I want you to save me. I want to be a part of your kingdom. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Jesus, for the, the style of leadership that you modeled, where you leveraged everything for our advancement. So that those of us who were lost could be saved. For those of us who lives were doomed could be rescued. And Lord, we want to celebrate and just say today from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and to cleanse you. Just right now, just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I want you to save me.
to forgive me, to cleanse me, to come into my life and make it your home. Tell them, from this day forward, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I want to be a part of your kingdom. If you tell him that today, he's going to forgive you of your sin. He's going to cleanse you. And he's going to come into your life. Now, in just a moment, Pete's going to begin to lead us in a song. I want you to listen real close. We're going to partake of these two elements. And in doing so, this is what we're doing. We're remembering what Jesus did for us. And we're also identifying ourselves with what he did. We're basically saying, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow that servant leadership model that you exemplified. And that's what I'm saying today as I partake of this. I'm thankful for what you did for me. And I want to identify my life with you in that way. But after communion today, we're going to have a baptism. Who's getting baptized today? Okay, a few of you. All right, it's awesome. For those of you who are getting baptized, here's what I want you to do. Listen close. As he begins to lead us in a song, you can partake of the communion elements. And then I want you to get up out of your seat and head over here to my left. Some of our pastors and leaders are going to help you get set up to join me in the pool here in a moment in order to get baptized. If you're here today and maybe you weren't planning on getting baptized and maybe you um, didn't even know we were doing this day and you want to get baptized, you can. You can just get up out of your seat and come over there. Maybe you're here today and you just prayed with me. You just said, you know what, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I encourage you today. Baptism is another way that we identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. It's actually the mark of a disciple because Jesus said to believe in me and be baptized. And baptism symbolizes our old life being buried with him and our desire to now walk in the newness of life. It symbolizes both a death and a resurrection. And so if you're here today and you weren't planning on getting baptized, we've got robes, we've got t-shirts that you can wear. Just head over here and we will baptize you today. But right now, let's remember and rejoice in what Jesus did for us by partaking of communion together. Let's do that.